Well, this morning, I want to invite you to turn in God's word to Luke chapter 24. You say, man, did I know I missed a week, but I missed a lot. Um, we're going to go to the end of Luke because sometimes I think it'd be very helpful um, as we're studying through a book of the Bible and just you know, to catch everybody up to speed in case you've been traveling over these last few weeks, we are going to be making our way over the next three years through the gospel of Luke. And you're like, man, that takes, that's a long time. Um, we're going to be in and out of it. In fact, starting next Sunday, we're going to be looking at our core values as a church. Um, one of the things that I like to do every year is to come back to what will be considered a biblical theology series of just some of the main ideas that make up who we are as a church and some of the non-negotiables. And then the way that we say that around here is we must be scripture fed, we must be servant led, we must be spirit filled, we must be Christ centered, we must be father glorifying. And then one new additional value that we are holding is that we must be intentional. We must be intentional. Um, if we're gonna be community reflective, then we have got to be intentional as a church in our city and among the nations. And so we are. That, those are the core values we're gonna be walking through starting next week. And I'm so thankful that Pastor Corey Barnes is gonna be preaching from God's word, talking about why we must be scripture fed. And that's what we'll be looking at next Sunday. But this week, I wanted us to go to something, a passage that really speaks to what we've just been coming through. So back on December 24th, when we gathered together, we talked about how he is coming, talking about Jesus and about all of the Old Testament prophecy that was leading up to this moment when Christ would come. And so we ended on the 24th in anticipation of what would be then the next day on Monday, Christmas day. And so then on December 31st, we did a sermon series where we looked at the birth of Christ, that he has come. But today I want us to consider this reality, that he will come again, that he will come again. And that's a very important distinguishing reality of Christianity is that we believe that the Messiah, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that Jesus Christ, the one who came born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for your sins and mine, was buried for three days and then resurrected, then ascended into heaven 40 days later with the promise that one day he will return. And that that reality becomes our hope in this life. That, the, that Christ Jesus will return and the dead in Christ will rise. That that resurrection hope that we see in Jesus on the third day will be our hope that we too, like Christ, will be resurrected to be given an imperishable body that will never wear out. Amen. Anybody with aches and pains and, and bodies that are wearing down, you know that hope, that goodness that one day we will be given imperishable bodies that won't wear out and that there will be this union between body and soul, our souls being renewed day by day, even as our bodies wear out day by day, that one day they'll be unified and moving in this one unified direction. But here's the contention, and this is why I wanted to do this this week. I think it changes the way that we read the gospel of Luke when we understand the ending of Luke. That we, would, that we can and we often do miss the main point of what Jesus is doing all along the way. And especially as Luke captures so many specific stories that maybe the other gospel writers just don't give the attention to, to show that, I mean, all the way back in, in Luke chapter two, that this gospel is going to be for all nations. And that's kind of hard for us to understand the significance of, but that was huge. 
And can I just tell you that it remains huge today that when a believer, when one of you really get it in your heart that the purpose of this gospel that you've been given is to give it, is to give it to others in your neighborhood, in our city, and among all nations, it transforms your life. When you really step into this reality that I just talked about a moment ago, the Great Commission, it changes everything. When you realize that that's why you've been saved, you've been brought into this relationship with Jesus Christ in order to bring this gospel to the ends of the earth, to enjoy God in this mission that he has given us, it transforms your life. It transforms your career. It transforms your residence, wherever you live. It transforms everything about who you are, including how you read the Bible. All of a sudden you see the mission that Christ was on of bringing this gospel to different people and people that were on the fringe, that were marginalized, overlooked, all these things. And it changes how you live. And so today I want you to, in Luke chapter 24, I want you to hold your place there and then I want you to turn over to Acts. So you're holding your place at Luke 24 and we're gonna be picking up in verse 44. And then I want you to also turn over to Acts chapter one. And we're gonna be looking together also at the opening parts of Acts. Now, why do that? Well, the same person, Luke, that wrote the gospel of Luke, wrote the book of Acts. And so we're gonna see a connection between the end of Luke in the beginning of Acts, that's really important for us to hold together. So that's why we're gonna study them together today is because it's the same author and he's really almost think about a second volume. Think about a great book that you've read and you're like, where does the story go? Well, Acts is the next part of the story. And so we wanna pick up right there. So I'm gonna invite you to stand today for the reading of God's word to turn back over to Luke chapter 24. So you're holding both places. And I'm gonna begin in verse 44 in Luke chapter 24. Hear the word of the Lord. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Don't miss that, to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city, that is Jerusalem, until you are empowered from on high. And then he led them out of the vicinity of Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually in the temple praising God. Now turn over to Acts chapter one and Paul and Luke picks up in verse one, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, you remember that from Luke chapter one, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? And he said to them, 
It's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. Don't miss that. In Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth, all nations. And after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. So just imagine a physical reality of Jesus ascending and then the clouds just, you know, covering him. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. This is an angelic vision that we've seen already in the gospel of Luke. They said to, they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. And I'm gonna keep reading just a few more verses. Sorry in the back. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they had been staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer. Don't miss that. Along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. We pray with me? Father, thank you for these two passages, how they go together and how they teach us something incredibly significant about our purpose, about our mission and how we are powerless apart from your Holy Spirit to accomplish this mission. So Lord, please put these truths deep in our hearts today so that we are not the same. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. This morning, I want us to take from these two passages four truths, Four truths that I believe every believer needs to have down deep in the foundation of their heart. That if your life is going to make sense, if reading the Bible is going to make sense, if your purpose in this life is going to make sense all through life, every season of it, then these truths must be in place. And the first is this, Jesus will come again. Jesus will come again. This is not some book series being sold on Amazon. This is not just some, well, some people are into that kind of stuff. My, you know, my aunt or uncle or a grandparent or something like that, they're real into that Jesus coming stuff. This isn't that. This is the simple reality that Jesus will return. Notice that that's all they've got to go on. All the books, all the Bible studies, all of the things that we now have today, this plethora of different theories of exactly when will happen and what will happen and then this and then that, all of that stuff came much later. Most of that is derived from the book of Revelation where we get into some very interesting theories and a lot of differences with one another sometimes about, well, what does this symbol mean? And well, no, I think it means this. And no, I think it means that. Just listen to the simplicity that the early church had. This is all they had to go on. They didn't have Revelation yet. It wouldn't be written for another probably 60 years. Uh, they, they didn't have all of the, the, the letters of Paul yet. Paul hasn't even become a Christian yet. This is the only reality that they have about what will take place. And listen to it in Acts chapter one, verse 11. The angel said, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come 
in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So what is the early church expecting? They are expecting the physical return of Jesus Christ. That's it. They they don't have all of these elaborate theologies and differences. Well, what school of thought are you? What school of thought are you? And all of these differences. This is it. Jesus will return. And we are expecting him like you expect a guest to show up at your house. They are expecting him physically to come back to them. And that's why they're even there in this moment looking up at heaven. They're like, we don't understand what happens next. You know, like, is this just kind of like a, you know, an intermission? You know, like they're, they're, they're like, what's next? And these angels tell them what's next. He comes back. He comes back. But this is why there's almost a rebuke in these words from the angels because he has told them what they are to be about. You see, I I think a lot of us in this room would agree on just that central reality that Jesus is going to return. Now, we may have a lot of thoughts about the exact sequence of events. This will take place and then this. We'll have a lot of thoughts there. But there is this one unifying truth that Jesus will return. And if that is true, then the rebuke of the angels is to us as well. Why are you looking up into heaven? In other words, he's told you what you're to be doing. He's told you what you are to be doing. You are to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's clear about what he's going to do. And he's been clear about what you and I are to be doing until that day. Jesus will return. He will come again, which leads us right into that second point. Until then, we have a job to do. Did you see it clearly right there in verse 11 and then back in verse eight? But you will receive power in Acts chapter one when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This idea of global missions was radical in the first century. This idea that this gospel was for people of every nation, tribe, and tongue would transform the thinking in the hearts of everyone, including a very zealous man named Paul, who had formerly been named Saul, who was so zealous for the Lord, zealous for the ways of Israel, he was, he was so committed, he was a Pharisee. He had committed incredible amounts of scripture to memory. He wanted to honor the Lord and he saw this thing called Christianity as a cult. And so he persecuted it. He wanted to snuff it out. But the book of Acts unfolds with this man, one who is to be seen as the pure and the truest among Israelites of how he also needed grace. He says of himself, I was the chief of sinners. Like, if you wanna meet the worst sinner, I'm him. That's what Paul would say. I was the worst of sinners. And yet God showed him grace and brought him into his kingdom. And he began then this missionary movement of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And it was in that work that God opened his eyes to the access that he intends of this gospel for every nation, tribe, and tongue. We see it back in the gospel of Luke in chapter 24, verses 47 and 48. 
God's word says, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now, one thing for us to note really quickly is that, is this just Luke going back and saying, well, you know, this, it kind of worked out that way. In other words, that Luke is writing his account a little bit later after some of these things have taken place. And so is he just kind of capturing and and then making it seem like, well, yeah, when this was the way it was supposed to go. It's kind of like, you know, when, when you and I do something that we didn't necessarily plan or whatever, but then when somebody's like, man, that was a great decision. And you're like, oh, thank you. And you kind of just, take it on like, well, yeah, I intended it all along, you know, when really you didn't, it just worked out really well. Is that what's happening here? No. You see, very carefully in the gospel of Luke, what we have is it says in verse 46, and he also said to them, this is what is written. In other words, these things were clearly laid out as the plan of God. And notice what he says, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. That's the core of the gospel. And Paul reminds the church of the core of the gospel. He takes them in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to what he reminded them of, 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 of at first, like of first importance. And he goes right back to there about the suffering of Jesus that was written and his burial. But what about this business then when we get to verse 47? And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Well, it's commonly thought that in Isaiah chapter two and in Micah chapter four, two prophecies, that very clearly it is stated that his word would go out beginning at Jerusalem, that this is fulfillment language, that this isn't just, well, I I don't know what to do now, or I'm just recording what happened, but that it was God's plan, not only that Jesus would come, not only that he would die, not only that he would be buried for three days and then resurrected, but that then you and I, as the people of God, saved by grace through faith in Jesus, would then go beginning in Jerusalem and then to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Every person in this room is a result because of the obedience of someone to do exactly that. You're here, you heard the gospel, because someone was obedient to that command, whoever that person was, and it's not supposed to stop with you. You are to join that long line of obedience. But brothers and sisters, in this moment, we need to rekindle. We need to rekindle that it is not only to Jerusalem, to our neighborhoods, it's not only to Judea and Samaria, the way we would say it is New Orleans, the kind of the greater New Orleans area, but it's to the ends of the earth that right now in the world, there are places, like I spoke of a moment ago, where there is no known believer. Right now, I'll just take an example, a country that I know of, the country of Afghanistan. Right now, there are only known to be about a dozen believers in that country, about a dozen, among millions of residents who are almost exclusively 99.99999% Muslim. Only about a dozen believers known to be in this country. Now, there may be some other Afghan believers that are outside of Afghanistan that have, that have, that have fled from Afghanistan through the last 20 years of war and difficulty that they've had there and under Taliban rule. But in country right now, there's only known to be about a dozen believers. And brothers and sisters, we therefore have a responsibility to continue to pray, 
to continue to give. And if God would ever open the doors to go to bring this gospel to places like Afghanistan. And you're like, how, how can we go to Afghanistan? We probably can't. But there are some who have said, we will go. We will go. There, there are those who have taken and said, we will go. And, and they were even willing to live in places in Central Asia, like Afghanistan and Tajikistan and Saudi Arabia and Iraq and Iran. I mean, all of these places to say, we will go and we will take our families and we will live in these places for the glory of God and for the advancement of his church. Now, we may not all be called to go and to live in a country in Central Asia, Brothers and sisters, it ought to be our heart that the gospel gets to Central Asia. There ought to be a unifying heart in this church and among every church and an increasing support for those who have been called to go and to bring the gospel to places like this and an increasing commitment financially to give, to getting the gospel to the hardest to reach places in the world. That ought to characterize us because Jesus did not say that he just wanted really great worship gatherings in Jerusalem. That wasn't how he ended it. That he just wanted one huge megachurch in Jerusalem. And he wasn't even like, and I'm okay with a few satellite campuses in Judea and Samaria that maybe can just like stream into the live service that's just going on. And I know I sound like I'm hating on simulcasts and all that kind of stuff. But what I'm trying to communicate from the bottom of my heart is that it was the desire of Jesus, his desire for his church to get this gospel to the ends of the earth. Every time we read this, he says all nations are to the end of the earth. And so therefore, brothers and sisters, we have to think strategically about that. You see, I think about the strategic nature of like two ministries right here in our own city where people from all over the world are coming here, a ministry like Global Maritime Ministries, a ministry that's located right on the port. One of our own members, Philip and, and Sandy Vandercook had been at the helm of that. His dad began that ministry. And this is a ministry specifically ministering to seafarers that come from all over the world to be able to give the gospel to them. We have this open door right here. We can tell them the gospel. We may not be able to tell them the gospel back in their home country, be able to go there and share it. But while they're here, we can minister to them, give them God's word in their language and care for them while they're here. That's a strategic ministry of reaching the nations right here at home. Another one is international student ministry. I'm so thankful for the international student ministry that we have in our city through the Baptist Collegiate Ministry, BCM. These are opportunities for us to have people into our homes. I received an email from one of our members um, a couple of months ago who sits right over in this area, right over here and, 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 and messaged in and said, you know, I've been seeing people from other countries that are here at our church. And I just imagine that it must be really hard to be probably thousands of miles away from their family. And I just wanna extend my life and my home to be a home away from home for them to open up, to allow them to come in and to cook food that they enjoy, to, to be able to have a kitchen. I imagine they're in dorms and they can't do that. But however I can serve international students, I just wanna open up my life to do that. Can I tell you, that is the heart that God has changed and implanted his mission into. To see that, you know, I could use my kitchen for opening up my home to reach the nations and to minister to a college students. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't mean we all have to get on the airplane and go to the other side of the world. We've only been able to do that for about, really about the last 70 years. 
To be able to do it the way that we do it today is, is of recent history. But brothers and sisters, we can all open up our lives to be able to reach the ends of the earth and we need to prioritize that today. Jesus will come again. Until then, we have a job to do. But this is where all of a sudden, when maybe your wheels are turning and you're thinking about, man, what could I do? And all of these things where we need the rebuke and the reminder of scripture that in this mission that we have been given, we are powerless to do it apart from the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we can't do our job. Jesus has just told the apostles to make disciples. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. He's just told them what they're to do. And there's probably part of them this thinking like, let's do this. Like, I mean, we've got the resurrected Jesus with us. I mean, like this is our moment. And then he ascends into heaven. But what has he just told them? He has told them to wait, to wait. Acts chapter one, verses four through five. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the father's promise which he said, you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. You'll remember over in the gospel of Luke, those are the exact words of John. That he told people that I baptize you with water, but there's one who's coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, speaking of Jesus. So John's been clear about that and Luke is capturing it both in his gospel in Luke and over in Acts that we are in need of the Holy Spirit and only through Jesus do we receive the Holy Spirit. Very clear. And so understand that that's how that works, that those in Jesus receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then down in verses seven and eight, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods set by the father. They've just been asking us now the time. It essentially like is all, is every knee gonna bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord now? And he says to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power. In other words, you're powerless. You're powerless, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. Notice that it's the empowering of the Holy Spirit that leads to the faithful witness of the church. Over in Luke chapter two, I mean 24 verse 49, Jesus says the same thing. In verse 49 he says, and look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. This is being reiterated because it is so important. And it's important for you and I to know that we have been called to a task that we cannot complete on our own. We are in desperate need of an empowering that only comes from God. You know why? Because the world is gonna hate you. The world is gonna be upset with you when you tell them that they are in sin and in need of forgiveness. That sounds like a really judgmental message. That sounds like that you are being better than them and you think higher than them. And then there's gonna be the specifics of, well, wait, so do you think this is sin? This lifestyle choice, this thing that I'm into, are you saying this is sin? How dare you? It's gonna be difficult. You're gonna be persecuted. Some of you are in jobs that if it was known that you were a Christian, it could possibly cost you your job. Right now, you, you live in a block and in a neighborhood where if people knew what you believed and what you held to be true about Jesus and, and that we are all sinners in need of God's grace, they wouldn't speak to you anymore. 
Jesus said this is exactly how it would be. But then there are also those who will believe. I mean, I I just can't get over how his grace works that sometimes, I mean, I just, I'm like, listen, I get the butterflies in my stomach when I do evangelism. It's, it's, It's the awkwardness. It's like, oh my gosh, like what is about to happen right here? But I am amazed at the grace of God that when I begin to share with someone that the Bible teaches that we are all sinners, me and you and every person, but that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish because that's what our sin deserves, but have eternal life. They begin to ask questions rather than just dismissing me. I'm amazed at his grace of how when you start to speak to a person, I'm not that bad, I've never killed anybody. I've never like murdered or or raped or just something horrible. I mean, like I'm I'm really not that bad. That then as I begin to, to lean into, you know, have you ever lied? Have you ever looked with lust? Have you ever coveted someone else's possessions? Have you ever dishonored your mom and dad? I mean, all of these things are pointing to a, a life of sin in increasing measure. And those are just the things you're willing to admit to in this conversation. And so I know that, you know, I'm thankful you haven't done those really horrible things, but the Bible still says that this is sin and that the consequence of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through faith in Christ Jesus. I mean, I'm telling you bad news in order to tell you good news. That's the the reality of the gospel. And brothers and sisters, when I, in those moments, in my weakness, when I'm failing through my words and all of these things, it is in those moments that I experience the truth of these words that his power is perfected in weakness. You will go forward and you will go with this gospel. And we like to have the portrait of us just eloquently, you know, telling the gospel and people just like, how then can I be saved? You know, and just like, you know, and then you just lead them perfectly in the, in a sinner's prayer of repentance and faith. That has not been my experience. It has been through fumbling and, 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 and at times, I mean, I remember one time we were in the country of China sharing with a man, the gospel and we're going through and I'm in this butchered English trying to like communicate with him in English because I don't know any Chinese and all these things and then I get to and Jesus died on the cross for your sins and then was buried and I stopped. And thankfully Cole was to me, she was like, and, and he rose, you know, like, and I was like, uh, you know, like, I'm just like, I can't, I left out the best part. You know, like I, I was just so fumbling over my words. And Lee DeCoon did not come to Christ but one of his teacher friends did. (laughs) Because that's how God's Holy Spirit works because he is a God who delights to save. You see, you don't always know how things are going to work out. You don't know the story that God is putting together using you, but he has called you and me to be witnesses of his grace, to be witnesses of this gospel. And so therefore, this leads us convictionally still today. This was not just a first century thing. This is a 21st century thing that we must be filled. We must be spirit filled. So therefore we must pray. Did you notice it? Did you see it in John chapter 24 verses 50 and 53? Notice what God's word says. It says, then he led them to the vicinity of Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. And after worshiping him, They returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually in the temple praising God. The way it says it over in Acts chapter 12 was, then 
they return to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is about a Sabbath day's journey. It lists the disciples, but then listen to this description in verse 14. They all were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They were united in prayer. And the story of Acts begins to unfold with this cycle that takes place. The people of God in desperation because maybe one of the brothers has been arrested like Peter. They're humbling themselves before God and they're praying and they're seeking his face and they're worshiping him. And then God moves with power and fills them with the Holy Spirit. And then you know what it says? And then they go, and then they would go out boldly proclaiming. And then when there's the persecution that takes place and Stephen is martyred in, in, in Acts chapter seven, and we see this, this incredible persecution, we then turn the page into Acts chapter eight. And what happens? The church is gathered together and they're, and they're humbled in prayer and they're seeking God and then they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they go out boldly proclaiming. And we see this cycle begin to emerge. And church, we have been given this mission to go out and boldly proclaim with bold compassion this gospel, but we won't do it if we don't seek God, we won't do it with any effectiveness if we go out powerless because we never ask for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Now I know that you may come from a, a background. You may have some spiritual abuse where talk and priority of the Holy Spirit, I mean, it, it led to some strange things. Please know this is not that. This is the simplicity of just admitting just like you did when you first came to God, that you were powerless to forgive yourself. You couldn't save yourself from your sin, only he could. That in the same posture of humility and dependence, you come before God and you say, God, you've given me a task that I can't do on my own. And so in humility, God, I'm just asking for you to give me by the presence of your Holy Spirit, all that is needed to obey you, to bring this gospel to the ends of the earth. That's a humble posture. That's a life of prayer. And can I tell you, church, that's where we're moving this year. The end of this month, you're gonna see, we are going to begin to create a culture here of missional praying, humbling ourselves before God in accordance with his word, and then just beginning to pray missionally for our family, for our neighborhoods, right where you live, for our city, for New Orleans, and for all nations. We as a church are gonna to begin to, to cultivate this reality of humbling ourselves more and more in prayer in order to be filled with his Holy Spirit. Let it begin now. Will you pray with me? Father, in this moment, we humble ourselves before you. We admit that we are powerless to make disciples of all nations. We are powerless to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We're powerless to teach them everything that you have commanded us. But you are powerful. You are powerful to save through the power of the gospel and you are powerful to empower a weak vessel like me to bring this good news to the ends of the earth. So Lord, please, in our neighborhoods, in New Orleans, in all nations. Would you please empower us to bring this good news and to live a life that glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.